Life on Duarte, Podcast 3. Freshman here. Um, sorry for the delay in getting this one out. Uh, just I don't like telling a story unless I'm in the in the in the right mind frame or in the zone. And this one's gonna be a longer one, so you'll appreciate the delay. <coughs> so freshman year for myself. Rather, my first year of uni was um, yeah, it was good. It was interesting. Uh, I met, made a lot of friends who became long-term friends, and I think I learned a lot a lot about myself. Even though I didn't know I was learning anything at the time, but it it, it cultivated in me into the much of the personality I am today. I think I outgrew my shell, especially socially. Um, like I said, I didn't know many people. Um, <clears throat> I only knew. Kevin, my friend who showed me around, and it's a bit of a sad day, as that same friend has passed on in this last week, and I want to dedicate this podcast to him. Um, anyway, moving on with the story. Uh, <laughs> I had a very small circle of friends, I <clears throat> apart from the late Kevin and, uh, and, uh, and the people that he introduced me to who helped me settle in. I did mention I met another friend of mine at the international office. His name, his name now I can say is, is Taz. Um, he of full name Mutabazi. He was from Tanzania. Um, I remember being dropped off at international office to try and sort out my housing, and I saw this. Those days there were not many Africans on the campus, so I saw this other African guy and <clears throat> this really serious face, <laughs> looking at this big file of you know residential listings and and. And possibly because, maybe because he was the only other African, and I kind of came up to him and asked, um, is that the book with, you know, places to stay? And he's like, yeah, 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 this is this is the book, um, you know, you can have a look. And he kind of told me how things were organized and how they were filed and which books to look for if I was looking for Vickery House or other campus housing or if I wanted external housing, what, which notice about to go to. <coughs> and long story short, that's how we, we started talking and became friends. I asked him where he was from, and he said Tanzania, but he had lived in Kenya. And I think we cracked a few jokes um, <laughs> based on that and having common language of Swahili as well. Um, and funny enough, from meeting Taz, um, then I met other close friends, one called Rodney and another called Alan. And Rodney, Alan, Taz and myself became a close pack in the next couple of years to come. Um, <coughs> Yeah, we became very close friends, um, and it's the reason why I find it amusing. Because when I first met Taz, he had, his face seemed so, you know, so serious, <coughs> so you know, all about my business. But once I started talking to him, he was quite the, <laughs> quite the entertaining character. Um, once you get to know him, and so were his friends Rodney and Alan. Now the reason I got to know Rodney and Alan is because Taz lived with them, so the three of them lived together. So I'd visit them every so often, maybe twice, three times a week. Um, and we'd go out, you know, go out and hit the city together, go clubbing together, which became a big part of that year, just going out and exploring Perth. You know, you're all young, um, <coughs> young, single, and in a new country. So, you know, you go out and you socialize. So, and uh, what I remember about those days is the four of us, whether we realized or not, I think made quite an impact on the scene at the time because we all, you know, probably at least 
five, ten, and above, and um, and I think we walked around with not 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 really pride, but confidence, and and I think just because we were so happy in in our attitude and how we're going about life and being new and and also because at that point in time we felt we were some of the best dancers in town. Um, <laughs> it's funny because we would go out on Wednesdays to the local tavern, which was called the Waterford Tavern. It was about two kilometers, actually, sorry, less than a kilometer from Curtin University, walking distance really. And they had a karaoke night there on Wednesdays. But none of us were, I won't say none of us, but none of us were in, uh, I, I was going to say none of us were great singers or none of us were brave enough to sing. So what we do is put our name down with some song, whether it's by Asha or whoever was hot at the time, and just ask the MC whether we could just dance instead of sing. And he agreed once, and we were put towards the end of the show. And everyone does, you know, the Elvis Presley impersonations and other singing auditions, would come on stage and just dance to whatever track, whatever hot R&B track it was. Could have been Jarul one day, Asha the next week. But the crowd loved it. And um, <laughs> and the funny thing about these routines is though I never really professionally rehearsed, it would be things that I w- we would make up as a joke when I'd go visit them at their house. So we'd meet up on Tuesday, have a few drinks, you know, show off some dance moves, and then on Wednesday we're on stage, <laughs> ironically for karaoke, doing the same dance routines. But people loved it, you know, girls screaming and all that, and it kind of felt like, stars of a little town, so to speak, or suburb anyway. So we'd do that on a daily on Wednesday. It got so good to the point that we'd talk to the karaoke MC and he'd actually, and the, line, the list would be full of people wanting to sing, but he'd skip our name forward so that we could entertain every night by about half time, just because the crowd loved it. So, and I think with that little self-confidence, we take that same confidence into, <laughs> into the clubs and dance up a storm. It wasn't even so much about talking about girls or chasing girls, but we just loved dancing at, at that time. So um, once we, we were the four of us, we didn't really need anybody else. And that's not, that's not being brash. It was just that was how it was. And that got a lot of fans, but also got a few side looks and, you know, a bit of jealousy and enemies along the way from people who already, you know, based in the club and had their own cliques and we have these four guys come along out of nowhere from East Africa or whatever, Kenya, Tanzania <laughs> and start dancing away and you know stealing attention but that was what we did um, and it's funny thinking back when is the nights in those years as a uni student was a bigger night than the weekends because when is the night we had a full itinerary we would start off well, some would start off with a few drinks at the tavern after you finish your last class about 5 p.m. And then at about 7, we'd, um, this is the uni tavern, which also had its own little party scene going um, amongst the uni students. And from there, we'd walk down to the Waterford Tavern, where, like I said, we'd take part in the karaoke show, which was really our dance show. And then from there, we'd go into Leaderville, or the Leedy, as they called it. And the Leaderville was the biggest thing those days you wouldn't want to miss the Leaderville on a Wednesday and we'd be there from probably 9 till about 12 and then leave that and go to an R&B club which was in one of the hotels I think it was the Hilton Hotel it was called the Margos Club which was open till about 2 and then even after that from 2 o'clock till 4.35 
going to Northbridge for a club called The Base. Now, many people listening from my era definitely know The Base. And that's, that was the R&B hip-hop club for many years to come after that. So it was quite the itinerary. So in a sense, people would almost reconstruct their university lessons around Wednesday nights so that you do not have morning classes on a Thursday or you're, you're a fool. Um, so <laughs> best thing you could do is have classes in the afternoon so that you could do a sleep-in. Or put all your classes on Monday, Tuesday, because once Wednesday hit, you pretty much had Wednesday, Thursday, and the weekend, and as uni students, we'd go out of there a fair bit. And uh, so <clears throat> clubbing was one part, um, but then, of course, as a uni student, I had to get, uh, you, you know, you try and get a job to earn some pocket money, and the reason I bring that up in relation is because one of those nights on a heavy Wednesday night, I did get a, I mean, I did have a cleaning job as a student, uni student, cleaning schools and clubs and offices. And if cleaning, as you know, uh, cleaning starts at five in the morning till seven before people come to work or come to uni. So this particular job I was cleaning at Curtin University, many people don't know. And, um, and I'd clean from five to seven before actual classes started. But because we'd go out heavy on the Wednesday, um, it reached a point where if you're leaving the last club, which was the base, at about four, you know, say three thirty-four, you literally only have time to get home, <laughs> uh, wash your face, put on your cleaning uniform, and go to work. And I, I was pretty strong. I managed to do this a few times, but there was one particular week. It was we we went pretty hard. We drank lots of yeah, had a lot of drinks, a lot of cheap drinks. Wonder how we survived, you know, including passion pop, as some of you may very well know. Um, Three dollars fifty a bottle at that time, <laughs> but it fitted the student budget. Anyway, we had a heavy night and. I was also the one driving, which I'll come back to that later, because I was one of the first amongst the four of us to get a car. Uh, we call it Thugmobile. That was just my nickname that I had for it. And But the problem with Thugmobile, it was a really old BMW, and it was a guzzler. So um, I would pick up my friends, and they'd help me together. We'd put money together for petrol, because I could not feel that thing on my own, and we'd go clubbing, which meant at the end of the night, I would have to drop them all home. So now, when you leave the club at four and have to drop three of your friends home, some of them in different places, it meant I got home at like pretty much 4.40, literally washed my face, put on a uniform top and went to work to clean at five in the morning at Curtin Uni. So I get there, probably still high <laughs> from all the drinks, and yeah, get my vacuum and start, start cleaning, you know, start cleaning the lecture halls. I remember doing this one lecture hall and, you know, the, the routine was you pick up the rubbish as you walk up one way. Once you picked up all the rubbish one way, then you can vacuum in coming back down. So I picked up all the rubbish in the lecture hall, got to the top step of the lecture hall. All the rubbish is picked. Now all I had to do is vacuuming coming back down. But I was so tired. I said, oh, you know what, let me just have a quick nap here and sit down and I'll have a power nap for 10 minutes, get my energy back and then finish the job. That nap never ended. And the only thing I remember was waking up sleepily with someone shouting, Peter, Peter, can you get up now? Peter, what's wrong with you? And it was this was my supervisor. And she was shouting at me from the bottom of the hall. 
and as soon as I woke up, you know, trying to wipe drool and, you know, steady my eyes at the same time, I was like, oh, fuck. So anyway, I walked back down. I walked quickly down the steps trying to pretend that, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'll just take a quick rest. I'm going to do the vacuum now. And she's like, no, no, no. This is done. Let's let's head off to the office. I'm like, well, what for? She's like, no, you'll find out when we get there. Grab your things. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And as you get to the office, I pretty much knew she was, you know, firing me on the spot. And after the initial shock of, oh, this is all happening, I didn't care too much because, first of all, I hated that job. That lady was, she was, she was, she was, she was a bit of a bitch. And, um, you know, one of these country, country bogan type of ladies who are, you could tell, are racist deep down because she treated everyone there like shit. From African to Indian employees to which, you know, because that's most of the international students doing the cleaning jobs. And she talked down to everyone. Never actually saw her smile in the three weeks that I worked there. And she let a lot of people go, you know, on, on petty stuff. So she was giving me this lecture like, oh, you know, you, you know, you slept on the job and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. But I said, you know, it's a one-off, you know, you could give me a warning. She's like, nah, this doesn't count, etc., etc." So once she was done, I always had a grudge against her even before this incident. And I was like, okay, now that I'm fired, I just kept quiet and said, <laughs> when she finally finished signing, I said, and I signed by a resignation paper or termination. And I said, are you happy? Are you done? And she said, what do you mean? I said, if you're done, now I'm going to tell you a few things. And I don't know that it was still being slightly drunk, but there's also a lot of built up um, yeah, tension between me and her because I don't like when people disrespect others. And I just told her, you know, I may be leaving and I hope you're happy with it, but uh, just so you know, the reason you have such a high turnover of employees is because you have a really bad condescending attitude to all the people who work for you. Uh, you don't really treat them as equals. You should respect people a bit more. I don't care now because I'm leaving, but I'm just talking for the rest of your staff. If you, wanna, if you don't want such a high turnover, try and talk better and try and talk, talk, talk kinder to your staff regardless of their situations, and you may get a bit more productivity. Now, keep in mind, no one ever used to talk to this lady because everyone was scared of her. And all it says, yes, 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 Linda, or it's okay, Linda, no problem, Linda, I'm sorry, Linda, and, and ran off. So the shock on her face when I gave her that little lecture at 5.45 in the morning was golden because I don't think, it's not so much that I lectured her, I don't think she had had any other African student talk to her in such straight commanding English to her face and without without budging and I pretty much that was the mic drop I, I dropped the keys for my locker on her table and I walked off and I remember walking off feeling so free and at about 500 meters down I looked back and she was still there pudgy little lady with her big big thick rimmed glasses still staring at me in shock and for me that was golden Yes, I got fired, but it was a story to remember. Anyway, that's cleaning jobs for you as, <laughs> as an international student. I've done a lot. I've done nightclubs. People would have no idea what types of I've done heaps, uh, classrooms, offices. Nightclubs are the worst because those days people smoked and they clog up my, my vacuum machine and oh, it was a disgusting job. I did that with my, uh, uh, my uh, Malaysian housemate. He was doing his master's. He's the one who actually got me the job. And he worked for this really awful Indian guy who all he did was talk about, you know, 
disrespecting his wife. Anyway, that's those are other stories, but I just remember the Malaysian guy saying he hated cleaning the ladies' bathrooms because girls would write, you know, Carrie loves Ross, you know, with lipstick on the on the mirrors, and he'd take hours cleaning those mirrors, and he's like, oh, these fucking bitches, you know, you <laughs> these Aussies just write Carrie loves Lucy and don't respect anything, and he'd whinge. But for me, that was amusement. That's how we got by. <laughs> just hearing everyone else whinge about their own lives, but um, anyway, cleaning jobs were were crazy. Um, but that was the life, you know. You woke up early and had to do what you had to do. Apart from that, I also worked in pizza delivery. Um, and that was an interesting job because I was still only a year in, a few months in, and I just remember working for a supervisor who I could not understand. But you did what you did for a paycheck, so I'd just nod every time he talked to me. This was before I even got a grasp of the Aussie accent. So he'd be like, you know, he'd come into the kitchen. Most of the time I was delivering, but when deliveries were slow, you'd have to, you know, try and look busy in the kitchen. And he'd come in and, hey, mate, hey, hey, mate, you, you got to grab that broom and put, put away the bins. And, uh, and after you're done, get that dunny, throw the, throw the, throw the sack on it, and then get out, get out of the fence, buddy. Come on, come on, mate. Scrap the accent. But in my head, all I had was gibberish. And I just knew how, all I had was the words clean, clean. Come on, man, you gotta clean that, clean up shit up, mate. So all I had was clean, and I was just like, start washing dishes. Even though all you, all you told me was take the rubbish out. And he'd just shake his head, and I'd be like, hey, I'm washing dishes, and he'd give up and go. And I didn't care, it was a paycheck. But I did like pizza delivery because I used to deliver to families sitting outside, whether it was, you know, old pensioners having a wine on their car waiting for the pizza, you know, trying to create their own romance. Or, in, or take it to, you know, uni students having a party and you're invited in, but I was, you know, I was very innocent and, you know, hard work, hard work. well, I, was trying to, I tried to be hardworking and I declined the invite, you know, and just take the tip and maybe a free beer. It was an interesting job. You meet all sorts of people doing pizza delivery. It also gave me a good command of where everything was in Perth. But that, that was the working side of things. Uni side was, was interesting because I started doing a double degree uh, I was very ambitious in that sense. It was a double degree of computer science and business administration. So it's not a double major, it's two degrees. You're doing both computer science and business administration. The business admin side was, was okay. The computer science was a killer. And it's funny because I started out with my late friend Kev. And um, I remember our first lecture, we, we, were, we were given the statistics. And the lecturer said, you know, I'm happy that you're all excited to be here. But just out the bat... Uh, computer science as a course has the highest failure rate of 80% throughout the university, meaning only 20% of you sitting right here actually going to complete this degree. And we're like, yeah, that's a nice way to, to motivate people. But anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> and, and yeah, he just said most people drop out by second or third year. But, you know, as a first year, like, I can do this, I can do this. I just remember going to tutorials and my computer kept beeping because I had the wrong code or the wrong programming. And I gave up after the first semester and I, I kind of knew and, he, and the lecturer told me, you know, told us, if you can't handle this now, you're not going to handle it in the real world because you never stop learning and you never stop studying new code or new programming in computers. And I'm like, shit, if I can't do this for three years, I'm not doing this for a lifetime. So I left at the end of the first semester. Kev, <laughs> bless his soul. Was, a, was more persistent than I and said, nah, I can do this. I can do this. Um, <laughs> I'll keep going. So anyway, I went, I left and went to business school and did information systems, which was the closest thing you can do to IT that is not purely within computer school. So that was good enough for me. And I worked it out from there. 
Kev stayed on, but funny enough, joined me the second semester, and I laughed at his ass. But, you know, I gave him kudos for going a, an extra semester than I did. One friend of us called Alan, Alan is special because he, he was really, really smart. He'd party and joke with us, but when he came to, when he came to class, he, just, he was more of a natural at this mathematics and science type of classes. So he's the only one I know amongst my close friends that actually finished that computer science degree. So kudos to you, Alan. You're, you know, you're a guru in that sense. Even though he doesn't work in computers whatsoever now, he's more in um, food and industry and hospitality, running his own restaurants. So <laughs> that's, that's the irony of these things. I always used to tell people university is more of just getting a paper to show that you're not an idiot. What you do with that paper now is totally up to you. And that is so true. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind if there's only one wise quote you get from this whole podcast. Um, going back to general social, so you've heard of Kev, you've heard of, you've heard of Alan, and I've introduced you to Taz. Um, then there's the, the third guy in the equation, Rodney. Rodney, um, he's gone back to Kenya now, but he was quite the character. We used to look at Rodney as a bit of a leader amongst us because he, he was a bit more mature socially. He'd give us all the tips and tricks of how to navigate, you know, social scenes or how a, how to know a, a, a girl likes you. You know, silly tips like, oh, she's flicking her hair, she's flicking her hair, she must like you. <laughs> and to and to, to to us, he was, you know, he was just a genius in this whole social psychology game. And I remember small tips like how to dance or, you know, it's R&B nightclubs, how to groove with, with a girl and, you know, you know, to grind, but, you know, move your, move your hip in the middle, side to side, to arouse. He called it Cherahani, and I'll always remember Rodney for that. And, yeah, little tips and tricks that Rodney was, uh, he was like the coach of the whole team. And there was a, a fourth friend, uh, he's called Phil, he's in Sydney now, and he was all about being cool and, you know, being the, being the, the, the G in the, the G in the whole group, really. Kept us up to date on everything, hip-hop, comedy, Dave Chappelle, uh, hip hop urban music I learned a lot from Phil. So those were my friends in the in the beginning. Um and amongst them, you know, just a typical night out, you know, we'd start off at Rodney's and Alan's and Taz's house. Again buy passion pop three dollars fifty. Came in about two different flavors those days. And the funny thing is we had a as a student you had a budget of about twenty dollars for a night out. And I'll show you exactly how it worked. You have your five dollars, and you could get your passion pop, even with de- depreciation, because some places sold it for four fifty. And you know you have that bottle to yourself and sip it to warm up or charge up for the night at at, at your friend's house, which used to be Rodney and Taz's house, on Alan's house. And then the other five dollars was to put petrol in the in the tank or the thugmobile, as we called it. Like I said, it was a really old Beamer, so between us, we'd get at least ten dollars in. <laughs> then you had your five dollars to enter the nightclub, the only nightclub that charged which was base, and then five dollars to buy a beer. So all up twenty dollars, and that beer you sip it till the end of the night. But for some reason, those were some of the most fun nights we had on a twenty dollar budget. Now you can go out and spend hundreds, but the fun we had dancing and just putting on putting on a show. You know, dancing wise, we used to walk in and 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 really, <laughs> really t- take on the scene because we had nothing to lose at that time. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was a social scene those days. Uh, visiting friends, barbecues, uh, people drinking cartons of 
to his extra drive was the was the currency at the time. And as you got older and got a better job, then you'd buy a carton of Heineken. And now I think it's 150 lashes. This is way before you know batch batch brewing came into came onto the scene. <clears throat> but at that time, too, is extra dry. <coughs> oh, and sorry, and, and and VB were the main <laughs> were the main beers of currency. So um, I and, and and life was so simple. I remember celebrating my 21st on that first freshman year. I told you I worked in pizza delivery, so I had to keep it simple. I I used to take over all the pizzas that people would order and never pick up. My boss would say, throw them in the bin. And as a first-year student, I was like, uh-uh, that's not happening. So I just like, uh, you don't need them, I'll take them out for you. And I just put them in the back of my car and then take them back to my student housing, which, by the way, I said I told you I shared with eight other people. And I'd use those pizzas as currency, you know, give someone pizza and say, can I have some of your eggs or have some of your milk, you know, and it's crazy. But I just remember having my birthday, I remember getting a pizza because I couldn't go afford, you know, to buy like a full-on cake at the time so I just got pizza because I had it for free and it was still pretty fresh <laughs> put a candle on it invited Alan Taz Rodney Philip and that was a birthday party oh and and then some vodka and pineapple juice the pineapple juice again from my pizza job because we had canned pineapples and I'd pour the juice out the canned pineapples obviously because you have to have Hawaiian pizzas so I'd use the juice and chill it in my fridge so I'd chill fresh pineapple juice and pizzas and vodka so that was like a pizza birthday cake and then when you mix vodka with pineapple juice you have yourself a vodka screwdriver cocktail so i made things fancy on a budget you know and that's how we rolled um so yeah it was interesting times uh <laughs> cherry honey dancing passion pop uh, in some cases house parties you know with the with the wine boxes futilexia and things that gave you hangovers for, for days, probably kill me now if I try to drink that stuff. But um, that was, yeah, that was that was freshman year. Um, <clears throat> and just to finish off, in in memory of my friend Kev, a lot of people in Perth call me Ndwati, but in reality Ndwati is not my name. Ndwati is my surname, because Peter Peter Karaoke is my name. And I used to say to everyone when I first arrived, my name is Peter, my name is Peter. But remember, Kev is the one who was introducing me to all these people that I didn't know. And from the time we were in high school together, he always knew me as Ndwati. And I kept saying, nah, my name is Peter or Karaoke. He's like, nah, you're Ndwati to me. So the reason why I'm actually called Ndwati till this day is, is thanks to Kevin. Because um, everywhere he'd go, he'd just hey, meet my friend Ndwati. And he'd say it with such emphasis, Ndwati. This is my friend Ndwati. Say hi to Ndwati. And half the time I try and correct to say, nah, it's, it's karaoke or it's Peter. But his voice overheard mine and it reached a point where I, I couldn't be bothered correcting him. And I got to be known as Ndwati. So that's just a little bit of history. And that's thanks to the big man Kev. And I dedicate this podcast to him. And I shall be back with more next week. Hope you have enjoyed. Thank you.